0: and welcome to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast. I'm Kujabafu and this podcast is an extension of my book by the same name. In the book Listen to Your Footsteps, I share in a collection of essays, anecdotes and poems some of the lessons life has taught me on loss, identity, fathered work and everything in between. Having worked in various parts of the media, one of the things I've always appreciated about the work has been the opportunity to get a peek into the past that other people have taken. This podcast is an opportunity for me to continue to learn from others and hopefully to let you, the listener, also gain from their wisdom. Thank you for opening yourself and listening. This week's guest is Tula Cindy, who has found a way to navigate the space between the creativity of fashion design and the processes of running a fashion business. From his work with Vlisco, establishing his own brand to the launch of the Africa Rise business, Tula has always approached work and life from a place of integrity and honesty. So first of all, thank you for joining my podcast. I think as you, as as you might have realized, it's, it's, it's literally just a conversation and it's an opportunity for me to kind of get insight into thinking, journey, that sort of stuff. Um, So, so the place I want to start, I mean, I, I have a, I usually have a very cheesy place I want to start, but uh, which is, my usual line is, what did you be, want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, geez, that's so hard to tell. Well, I always wanted to be in the arts, something artistic, you know, because uh, I'm from a very creative family. Um, so I knew I wanted to be a fine artist, maybe like a sculptor or a painter. Um, but at the same time, I like making clothes. I used to like play with dolls and stuff. So it always something on the creative side. It has always does always decided, you know. So I haven't really moved away from that. Um, I studied fashion. Um, well, I studied fine art at the art school for high school, and then I just decided to go into fashion because I really really like it. I honestly do. It's so much fun. Um, but yeah, I've lived a very linear life, not very exciting.
0: <laughs> but how how do you get to fine arts? I mean considering you were growing up in a time when or you were growing up in a time when those kinds of careers or those kinds of opportunities were not, you know, they were not, they were not well known. I mean, a lot of us, it was, it was particular environments, you know, you saw the doctor, you saw the teacher, you saw the police person. Um, how, how do you then go, okay, fine arts is actually a thing. Well,
1: I'm from a very kind of different place. I'm from Clarksdorp in the northwest, and my family are Seventh Day Adventists. So it's a very different type of upbringing. Uh very different. Yeah. <laughs> um, in a good way actually. It's like, um, very open-minded, and um, like I said, most of my family. I had an uncle who was a very well-known musician. Um, my grandparents were artists you know yes they had their day jobs but you know there were also artists in terms of like painting and crafts and also on my dad's side uh, my dad's mom was a businesswoman she sold vegetables and whatnot mm. and um so it was a very 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 different environment so even when people talk about this whole teacher doctor lawyer thing it didn't really relate to my context and um that's why i always talk a lot about how A family is its own universe. Yeah. No, you can create your own universe, no matter what society is doing outside. What you guys decide to do in your home, that is the world for your children. And for me, it wasn't even. It was really, really easy. Honestly speaking, it just you just have to be good at it. That's all my parents were saying that if you're going to do this, you just honestly have to focus on it and be the best you can be at it. But even all of my cousins now, they all do different stuff. They were makers, musicians, photographers, electricians. We all just did what we liked to do, but you have to be good at it. That's the only thing. <laughs>
0: mm. I mean, I like that idea of a family being its own universe because I think also what happens a lot of the time is we look at, we look at the external and we use the external measures and the labels and what is how you live your life and how you don't live your life, and we bring that and apply that into, into our own spaces, and that has the potential to totally stifle, you know, stifle the the real potential that each individual has within that universe that you're talking about.
1: No, absolutely, you know, and um, I mean, it's 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 influenced a lot of just my personality. Um, some people find me quite bizarre because I really like I like. It fashion i like working in fashion but i don't like things like i don't like fancy cars or big houses or glamorous things i find it quite silly you know um but i love beautiful clothes and i love expensive clothes. but it's i like what i like and it doesn't have to fit into what you think a fashion mm-hmm. person is or what a fashion person should like or appreciate um but if you're from like a very bizarre family to start off with it's just it makes everything else a whole lot easier you know, and. Um, yeah, I'm from a, a family of individuals, and uh, I don't even think there's a black sheep in our family. I think maybe that one cousin who went off to be like a lawyer was a
0: black sheep. Well, I always joke and say, I'm the white sheep of my family, and that's just because I'm the only one who had a European mother. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, even, even, even those, I think even those labels, like the the black sheep, the white sheep, um, a friend of mine recently put out a quote, a, uh, he, he posted a quote around being weird and, and saying that if you're labeled weird, you should actually take, you, you, should, you should be glad for being labeled weird because it means that you, the way you live your life and how you, how you approach things and how you view things is in a way original. Um, but for a long time, I mean, I I know that growing up, you know, people would say, okay, because you listen to this kind of music or you're interested in that kind of thing, that makes you weird. Um, so that makes you other to a certain extent, but we're getting to the, I I really believe we're getting to the point where, you know, all there's so many of us who supposedly sit outside the mainstream that in our differences, because there's still a lot of similarity, but in our differences, we actually form, you know, we, we, we form a community through the differences or, or through being other. And, and, and was, you know, at least it's nice to see for younger kids growing up today that they, they don't feel so bottled in.
1: Yes, and it's also, it's very liberating, you know, um, because as much as we're all individuals, we do have common traits. But it's nice for especially growing up to see that there's different ways to live life because i think a lot of pressure comes from thinking there's only one way to be or one way to appreciate stuff or one way to experience things and it's not like that at all it's not like that at all and you just want to especially for like young teens like you, you, you're raising young kids and you just want to l- l- liberate them as soon as possible that you are you nobody will ever be you at this moment doing this coming from this family so you can't even possibly compare yourself to anybody else the the factors don't line up you know so it doesn't matter what bobby or kathy are, are doing next door they're not you in the best mm-hmm. possible way so you just have to do the best with what you've got and that for me has been my life you know i've just done the best with what i've got you know all the natural gifts the unnatural gifts all the opportunities everything that's possible to do i do my absolute best at and um and also small things you know i, I remember even my grandfather would always say to me you know you don't need to be the most talented person you just need to be reliable that's all you need to be because everyone else Mm. just falls away by being dishonest unreliable um not being able to be counted on so um that was always his only thing because i was always actually when i was first starting off i always wanted to be the best the best the best the most talented and he was like you're wasting your time there's always people who are more talented than you but nobody can more integrity than you you have to keep your word you have to do what Mm. you need and you have to follow through so few people can actually do that you'd be surprised and i always thought this old man is just being really like really trite you know but it served me so well honestly speaking because especially in an industry that's about production about delivery about satisfying customers you just have to keep your word and you just keep on coming out on top and you to build relationships and it it builds on and on and on and on and on and that's actually what's kind of brought me to creating Africa Rise is having that type of reputation especially with other designers and other creatives as well Mm. where they're like okay we can count on this guy he won't run away with our money he keeps his word and you don't realize it when it's happening but um, yeah
0: i mean that's the thing that's always fascinated me about you and i mean when i used to have a radio show i, I remember having you on the show and i was telling people though i'm, I'm going to talk to tula about entrepreneurship and and the misconceptions around particularly small business and entrepreneurship like in this country um the this the, this kind of uh you know I, I when i had you on my show um and, and I, I was telling people that, look, I'm going to talk to Tula about entrepreneurship and the narrative that's sold around entrepreneurship in this, particularly in this country, like, you know, to be an entrepreneur, then you're going to become a millionaire. And, and because of that, I've always just been fascinated by, I've been fascinated by that aspect of your journey. And I think, I think you've just explained it where, you know, what you're saying about your grandfather, because so many people can be, you know, we have the geniuses, right? Uh, But a lot of times what seems to be the common factor with the geniuses is that, okay, they can great create something that's amazing, uh, but you can't count on them. And and there's no there's no deliberateness to it. Um, So when did you start to sort question I have is, when did you start to kind of let's call it manifest that side of you? Because I mean, you started out and you started designing and i'd like to think you i mean you i'd like to think you were extremely successful and there's always been a resonance and a a connection particularly with women with with your not just your design but the spirit and soul of what you're creating um so what was that journey like like starting out coming out of school and then and then that evolution
1: Well, like I said, it was pretty linear, you know, after I matriculated from the National School of the Arts, I went to LISO, which is a fashion school, and the experience was pretty terrible in a word, um, because fashion school is really kind of where you start to encounter people that really aren't as passionate about what you do as you are, and you get there and you're excited and you want to do this thing. And it's not the same. And all of a sudden, you know, school is such an equalizer. You don't realize that there's rich kids and poor kids. and You don't, you don't really realize it until you get to like college and you have to to laminate stuff and have all these Copic markers that like, are like 10 grand for a full set. And you're like, shit, I'm poor. I didn't realize it because <laughs> I was like, at a art school where we all live in hostel and wash our shirts in the base. And you don't you don't quite realize it. No, because you lived. I lived in a small cocoon and I got to college and it was pretty difficult because if you're in a trade like fashion, you know, there's inputs, you know, you have to buy fabrication, you have to create all of these projects and it does take money no matter how talented you are. Um, mm. it's like even fine art. If you've got the best canvas, it, it helps. You know, if you've got the best brushes, if you've got the best paints, it helps. No matter who says what, you can be as talented as you like but you can't, like, paint on a piece yeah. of newspaper, you know? So um, it, 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 was, it was a bit disheartening um, at first. And for me, the lecturers weren't as excited as I was about this. You know, I guess educators also kind of get exhausted. Um, and the worst part is that private colleges also attract a lot of people who'd rather be doing gap years or going to Greece, but they'll do new mm. fashion, you know, and it's not such a do-or-die thing for them. And you are there, you like, this has got to work or else I'm going to stop. So the dynamic was, just it was really horrible in every aspect, every aspect, you know, um, and I wasn't ready for that. But I focused on trying to be able to afford my college fees because my parents were trying as hard as they could. But of course, one needs assistance. That's mm. why I actually started making clothes. Um, one of my first customers was actually Bonnie Bully, strangely enough. Um, I was in second year and she was shooting a tv show upstairs some music show and mm. her stylist had wanted well, something to do with the skirt must be more puffy and the fashion college was downstairs mm. so the stylist's name was td i remember She walked downstairs and she was just asking like is there like a fashion student here who can quickly just sew up like a tutu for me and i was like i'll do it i'll do it and yeah then i made the tutu in like three hours i went upstairs i dressed her and I was a second year dressing body bully. I took the stylist number and things just started to roll from there. Then I met Penny and I met all of these other people and I was just making clothes while I was in school, paying for my fees. And then I also used to go out a lot at night, a lot, <laughs> <laughs> you know, then I'd meet people like Baba Loa and all the girls who used to like to party and I used to make them dresses for going out. And that's where my business started from, you know, and just mm-hmm. really understanding women's needs from that perspective of literally just being a helper. Saying, "What do you need? How do you want to look like?" So then I could suddenly afford my fees, and I had a little bit extra left over. I said, "I was like, wow, I'm in business," you know. And so by the time I was in third year, um, I graduated, and uh, I went to a job interview with Blisco, which is a Dutch company. They yeah. take all of these African, yeah. So it's a long story we <laughs> yeah i world. know i know the story <laughs> <laughs> and they needed like a creative director it was just something small they wanted to do really just to show people what they could do with the fabric um they didn't really want to pay much and i was like well i can take a percentage of sales you know and this ridiculously low pay salary and I thought, think they thought they would be very smart, and they're like, "Yeah, let's do that." Mm. You know, um, mm-hmm. then <laughs> we signed the contract. Um, then the first thing I did was I asked Malisa Mupu and Malcolm Tuck, who I used to do patterns for, for my gap time when I was in Cape Town. there's t- for holidays I'd go down to Cape Town and work for other designers. Mm. Than this is what I'd do. So I knew all of these people, and I was just one year out of college. I said to them guys. Let's all create a relationship with the You sell it in the store, you make a percentage, blah, blah, blah. We did that and it was a financial success of epic proportions. <laughs> and the quote of that came to?
0: Yes, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was really, really good, but of course it paid attention to the company because it was like, yeah, it was just, they weren't prepared for that. You know, then of course, if things work well and it's one year old is in charge, they brought in consultants, of course, yeah. to, to monetize it and professionalize it. And all these words that you're like, but I did all of that and I'm still here. So, of course, you've one and you, you put out some was like, the consultants go or I go. I didn't realize it was possible that good would I me. <mean. laughs> I, I, mean, I honestly didn't think. As possible, because I created a garments department that was very very profitable, literally in a matter of six months. Mm. Um, so yeah, they paid me off and they told me to go. That's how I started my business with the payoff. For
0: yeah. Okay. That's what I mean. But, but that's one of those that's one of those stories and that's one of those situations. I and mean, I suspect being older, um, it's less surprising that. An organisation like that will go actually well. We're not gonna. We're gonna call your bluff, and we're gonna let you go. Um, yeah. And 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 I mean, interesting enough, like if you look at where are they, where are they now versus versus the journey that you have gone through, you know. Um, and in fact, it was
1: just one of those moments where um, I want to say I, I was deeply disappointed. I was. Mm-hmm. Deep, it was a. I grew up immediately after that because you know I'd just been hopping and skipping along, you know, and yes, I think college was a bit of a hump, but at the same time, it was like a year of being down. And then the moment I got to really start creating clothes and selling clothes, college was just, I didn't care about it. It was a way for me to get the paper and Mm. to leave, you know? Yeah. So I'd just been hopping and skipping along. And then that was my first real kind of face against the bricks moment where I was like, damn it. So this is real life. So I thought like, if you, do really well and you make people money and they'll like you and they'll you know they <laughs> want to keep you around and you know the, it doesn't work that way and yeah so it was really hard i mean like about six months after that i couldn't find a job i honestly couldn't find a job because i was grossly overpaid in my previous mm, job, obviously. yeah and um i just i couldn't adjust what was on offer for somebody my age with my limited experience at that point. So I really didn't start my business from a point of wanting to, because I thought, no, no, let me just get a few more years. I tried to apply to the machine group, all of these other places. Um, but I do also think I kept on failing that what's the test that they make you do. Um, I, I've, never, I, I've never I've never I've um, never worked in <laughs> corporate. So <laughs>
0: like,
1: yeah, yeah. But it's like a test that they make you do. I'm like, please, every time after I take that test, uh, it's like, we regret to inform you, you know? Because um, <laughs> I don't think I'm a traditional team player, honestly speaking. Um, I like being the lead, but I don't like to micromanage. Um, so I had to start my business just from the fact that I couldn't find another job. Mm. Um, I didn't feel ready. Honestly, I didn't feel ready at all. But we have to economic realities in this country that don't allow us especially as black people to kind of like get ready and yeah. take two years off to find yourself and sorry I, I had bills piling up you know and i would spent the money quite recklessly before yes at least I, I had to pay off but mm, I needed a job so I created my own job.
0: Uh, what was? Because it, it feels like there's, there's various, let's call it various chapters to your business, right? So there's Tula Cindy, your business, when you, you, know, you created your own business, you were providing, uh, you, you were designing, running fashion shows, doing collections, et cetera, et cetera, and you had clients. Um, and then you started opening up, you started opening up stores, uh, standalone stores, so you made that transition. Um, and then all of a sudden it's Africa rise. So what was that what was that journey? Um, and I asked this kind of having, having some knowledge and some insight of that journey, but it's important to also kind of reflect now that we're where, where, where you are now, right? Uh, because the last time you and I had a conversation, it was you were busy shutting down shops and trying to navigate a very difficult, a di- a very difficult partnership in a very difficult situation. So what was that journey from, okay, I'm starting my business and I'm building my collections to I'm opening stores?
1: Thanks for that. Because most times people actually gloss over those steps and it's like, oh, and one day I woke up and I had shopped stuff. But when I started my business, um, my first decision was that, yes, I had private clients, um, very well-known private clients and others who weren't well-known. But I realized early on that creating stuff individually for people had a very low ceiling. You know? mm. You're not only selling a product, but you're selling your time. So you have to consult with them. You have to you know, make them stuff and run and do all of these things just for one person. And there's only so much time in the day. So I would never be able to scale the business up if I continued to interact with people at that level, you know, mm. being a client-based business. I wanted to be a product-based business where I can create the item in my own space, my own time, you know, and create productions of that, and then put that in a store. But of course, I didn't have money to, be, to have a store or anything like, like that, but I had enough capital to start a ready-to-wear business, which is yeah. what my dream was. And I was doing ready-to-wear at Flisco already, so I knew that I've got a capacity for it. Mm. Um, so what I decided, um, and at that time, is enough, I Patra Ruga, who is a very well-known art, famous artist now, was the fashion designer as well. We were like contemporaries. Me and him were designing together. He had his own line, I had my own line. And there's a store in Rosebank at the Muse. It was called LaBelle. Yes. Um, that lady had really interesting clothes from like, across the world. And she said she would stock our garment. Because we'd gone into the store and said we've got really beautiful things. We showed her and said, can you put them in your, your store? And she said, Ugh, I don't stock the brands. brand, but your stuff is so well made. So I'll put it in the store by the way, I can sew like crazy. Like I can sew. <laughs> so that's what, that's how we started. And um, the moment you disassociate your garment from yourself, mm-hmm. um, you can literally price it at any price. Because you know, the issue with client business is that somebody walks into your space, they see you're in a little one bedroom flat in steam, you know, so they kind of like bargain you down and things like that. But the moment mm-hmm. you're in that same one bedroom flat and you create something that is gorgeous and worth Eight thousand rand market you know and you put it in a store that has things that are double and triple that price mm. but equal to quality and you put it in there away from you all of a sudden somebody can walk into that same store and purchase that garment for that much you know and you didn't have to interact with them or anything like that so that's how then i had enough capital to go into the next move which was having my own physical stores because now our stock in the Edgar stores I did that Edgar deal, which was really, really good at that time. And I had 36 boutiques, which I was stocking. I opened an online store. So I had all these other places now where I was selling my ready to work. And that's how I made enough money. But when I wanted to go into a physical store, I had two choices. Do I do something small and cute? Or do I get a partner and do something really big, really beautiful and blah, blah, blah. Of course, I made the wrong choice and I went with the partner. <laughs> That was a nightmare. That was a nightmare. Um, And it's got a lot to do with the kind of capital that's available in this country. Mm. Um, The types of people who are willing to invest in smaller businesses are either thinking really small, or it's, it's dirty money, or it's just people who aren't honest about what they're doing. You know, we really don't have any type of infrastructure for any kind of good type of investment. You know, and I learned that the hard way, you know, and um, I had to detangle myself out of that legally and it cost me a lot. I had to close stores, I had to do all of that type of stuff. Um, But it was also another hard lesson. Those, see, the political thing and the partner thing, those are my two hard lessons in this world. Um, But the nice thing about all of these things, you know, if you hire the right lawyers and eventually hundreds of thousands of fans later it does get resolved <laughs> but it, look it,
0: um, it, it feels it feels like expensive lessons but it also feels like you have you have learned particular lessons that that few of let's call it your contemporaries within and when i say contemporaries it's 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 more the fashion designers that you started out with because when i look at you now i don't see you just as a fashion designer Right, uh, it's you know you for me you're more than just a fashion designer, because you know because because you're creating you know you're creating you are creating so much.
1: And that for me was really honestly the next step. I was like, I've had my own stores. Um, there's no one coming up behind me, and the issue with that is I think the designers are really so good at what they do. You know, people don't realize that i like. This is why African designers win LVMH awards and all of this. Thing. We are actually so good at designing, and I mm. mean designing products. You know, you look on the continent and all the rest of the designers they do incredible stuff. You know, if people like it on Instagram and oh, 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 but it's not product. You know, it's not ready to wear. It's stunning. It's, it's 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 you know, but it's not. It's not easily wearable products. Africans mm-hmm. are so good at that. And I think it's just because of kind of like the geography of this country, you know, and just how we are, where we are we are isolated as a country, but also we are still connected to the world. So we create this kind of bizarre alternate world. That's why I mean like even our music catches on so well, our dances, all of that. It's like we're weird, you know, in a good way. we we create stuff because it has to sell, because we're in a tough economic space. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we have to be creative because we cannot compete against the bigger businesses. That's why we're always creating new music genres. You know, we're always creating these new little dances, and we've always been good at it. I mean, like, even from, from Miriam gear, but we've always been good at trains. We've always been good at that type of stuff. So second designers are very good. We just need to monetize what we do. So be, me being me, I thought, you know, there's so many people with money inside this fashion industry that can you know, create all of these platforms very easily. They can create multi-brand stores easily. They can fund the right people. But it just never seemed to happen until I was like, you know what, I'll have to do it myself. You know, I have to create a place where South African and African designers have got access to the market. Because that's the missing element in everything. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're still being treated like a cottage industry. And it's, it's so infuriating, you know, and it happens even at the highest levels where you can go to the art and culture and they'll talk about, no, why don't you put your stuff at the, you know, the weekend market, like the flea bar. I'm like, you people nuts. Like these things could sell anywhere. They could sell at Selfridges. They could sell at Barney. These yeah. things are beautifully made. They're international quality. Why do we always have to be at some weekend market at the store? It's just... They think so small, and they think so little of creative people that they can't even help it, even when they're trying to be altruistic. It's like this thing of the lock economy. It makes me so sick. Oh, God, I hate it so much. Because you're like, why is it still a lock That's yeah. the first problem that you yeah. need to go and solve, you know? And there's no businesses in residential areas, you know, unless it's a convenience-based business, like, you know, like a garage or you yeah. know, something that's residential. The Luxton is residential, mm. same as Rosebank, same as Parker's, It's residential. So if I want to have a Rosebank, I mean a, a restaurant in a residential area, that's cool. But you can't say I'm not going to sell clothes in a residential area. That's ridiculous. Mm. It's, it doesn't even make sense when we know such can buy clothes in shopping centers. You know why can't we even just have a small percentage of this market that's worth billions? You know, and it's I had to do it myself, basically.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Um, how, did you, how, how did you decide on, on who's kind of part of Africa Rise? What, what, what was the thinking and the strategy behind that, that space and that store?
1: Well, for me, it was pretty easy because anyone is honestly so good and I feel like mostly underdeveloped in terms of how much money they're making for the kind of craft that they're creating and the kind of product they're creating. I mean, I mean from Kubung to David to the designer accessories, like all of these people have great products. You know, and yes, they've got their own sports, they've got their own networks, but there needs to be more and more and more because the way cycle shoppers are, if you go to Santon, you will never go to Rosebank. If you go, if you're a Parkhurst person, you live in Parkhurst, your kids go to school in Parkhurst, we're also kind of like localized in where we shop mm. that South African and African design needs to be in as many places as possible because the shopper is so well developed now that they, if they like something, they'll buy it. They don't even care anymore if it's locally made. And I know a lot of people think that that's a bad thing, but that's a very good thing. We don't need pity purchases. We don't need solidarity purchases. Yeah. Support. You know, we just want, we, we compete and we excel at what we do but we just need to be accessible because people are time starved. They're not gonna hop over a river in a pond to get to us. you know. So we can't be in like secluded areas and not be accessible to people. We need to be as accessible as any other fashion brand. And it sucks that an Australian company can just come to South Africa and open 10 branches and it's normal. It's normal to everyone, you know? Mm. But for us, we have to take the little steps. We have hands held and see how we can make it work in the market, whereas the only thing that makes the market work is money. If we have enough money to be in five or eight or ten different locations in this country, we can actually make money from this thing. So it's easy to decide which designers to create. They're mm-hmm. all good. You know? So I just have to take off the top the ones that we can contain inside the store because we have a very limited space. Yeah. Um, but we do have the online store as well, which has even more designers. And we've got three branches now, um, Jo'burg, City, Stanton City, and Menden, Pretoria. We're hoping that, well, COVID did us a number, but maybe in the next two years, we could have two more branches as well. Just to service, especially like the Durban area, maybe Bloom 15 as well. Uh, not sure about Cape Town. Um, no, but yeah. Bloom 15, mm, Limpopside, perhaps as well. Oh, yeah, I'm still in the thinking process of that. Mm. But it's it's such an easy business, you know. It's really honestly, build it and they will come, because people want products all the time and unique products and it's well priced. It's great quality. It's very unique. It's more unique than these thousands of Gucci bags that all exist and these thousands of belts, you know. So it's it, the, the customer is there. We just need financial support, nothing else. Literally, mm-hmm. like, government needs to give us money to do this. But in lieu of that, we're doing it ourselves. And the designers are good. And um, the customer is responsive, which is the most important part. And Absolutely. we keep growing. Yeah.
0: Do you still have time to design?
1: I do. You know, the thing is that the way I've created my business is that I'm not necessary in any shape, way, or form. I only work four days a week, you know, um, three sometimes. Um, I have a very good, good team that takes care of a lot of things in terms of the retail side of the store, in terms of the production side, you know, and the manufacturing. I design every single garment that is truly designed by me, you know, because that's the easy part. You know, that's the dreaming up of things part. And you can design an entire collection in a single afternoon. And um, that's always one thing I've been good at. I'm very prolific in terms of what I can do in terms of design. But I've got a great management structure. I've got stuff who have been with me since I started this mm. day one. Um, and at least likely I've been able to retain them to a point where it's almost like they can read my mind. And that's what's made this fun. And that's why people always say, oh, but you're always so busy. No, I'm always at home <laughs> or on Twitter or playing Street Fighter. Or, yeah, mm. I don't like being busy. Um, I would, if I was from a wealthy family, I wouldn't work. I don't like working. You know, it's just a fashion is the thing that I enjoy the most mm. if I have to do something. But yeah, I try to create a, an environment at work that's really easy. Like my staff, they work one week on, one week off. So they can also follow their own passions with the stuff that they want to do. And um, my production staff works four days a week. So each weekend for them is a long weekend. They can do stuff at home, you know, they can visit family you know it's i don't know it's, it's for me it makes me feel proud that my staff is like oh we earn more than all of you other garment workers and we only work four days a week yeah you know and it's it's cool i just want to create my own universe i'm that type of person i i'm not happy with how things are i've, I've never been known so that's just the way it is i no i reject that i just want to create my own world and so far it works you know we've been a tough two years with COVID. Uh, Very, 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 very tough. But luckily, when you're creating a specialized product um, and you're in charge of the production and you're in charge of how to change what you do and how to make it relevant, um, it makes it a little bit, not easier, but at least you are in charge.
0: You are listening to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast, conversations with Africans who are navigating this world on their own terms, while trying to live life to the best of their ability.
1: You know, before COVID, 60% of our sales were the African traveler and uh, American and European tourists. So when the lockdown happened, uh, it was a shock for us once we reopened and sales were really, really weak mm. um, because we'd been operating literally not on autopilot but, you know, when the outsiders love us, you know, so we're cool. We hadn't really kind of catered solely to the domestic market mm. because we're such a strong outside customer. So we had to grow up and really change immediately and really listen to our customers. We'd, I think we'd somehow neglected them domestic market because the bulk of our sales were the African traveller, the American, the European tourists, blah 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 blah, blah, the business traveller as well um, and tourism on the continent alone, I mean the Angolans, Nigerians, you know, um, that was the market and now we're stuck with just the locals (laughs) and So, but we've now, it took us about three months to really see what do people really want from us. And I think it's got us in a much better position because now our sales are back to where they used to be and only on domestic customers. That's brilliant. Which means once we start to open up, we'll be in a much better position, Mm. you know, but it was a difficult lesson. We spent about six months way low below target. And you must understand with creative people, it's such a it hurts when people kind of reject your product and some creatives just cannot change they cannot change especially when they look at how well they used to do they feel like it's almost like a rejection and Mm. when you tell somebody to change like you almost you're trying to tell them to change who they are
0: Mm. it feels it feels personal it it feels extremely personal
1: absolutely and um so it's been difficult to work for all of us you know and you must understand we have a daily sales report we've got this once every single day you see who sells
0: wow you know, and
1: every day it's not you that must <laughs> you know? be pe- that, that must be heavy too it must be heavy I,
0: mean, I think personally like it must be heavy just to deal with i, mean, I, mean, I, I, I like I, like i i, I say for example so i just came out with a book right and and then people go how's the book doing and and the one part is i have zero context okay so i've never had a book before so even when even when the publisher eventually sent me sales figures i'm like i don't know what that means but at the same time deep down inside it's like i know how many they print on the first run um, and i i know how the different bookshops like exclusive books has their like top 10 that they post all the time all right so i do have some kind of reference point and then kind of every week you you know you're on social media and you're, you're in a space and like there's no conversation it, it doesn't it, you don't you, you don't look anywhere near that or for example this podcast where i look at the charts and i'm like i don't feature anyway and and the logical side and the rational side understands that i'm just starting this thing out it's good you know, I work in the I work in the content space. It takes time to build things, and and time is not two weeks. You know, time is six months. Time is ten months, yeah. uh, where you know a year down the line, all of a sudden, the first episode that I that I did will start to gain some traction. Like I know all of these, I know all of these things from a ra- from a rational, <laughs> from a rational you know professional perspective. But there's still those moments where it, it hurts a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, it does. And but for us in fashion, more especially, you know, it, we need to sharpen that too. And I mean, all just transparency. You know, these designers, most of us have always have been shielded away from each other in terms of our financial performance. Mm. And I mean, in this group is the most established designers yeah. you can think of. Yeah. And yeah. And the little little maneki that's literally making these things from their mom's garage and i'm not exaggerating and sometimes the reality is flipped because the customer at the end of the day is who described and it, it's tough but those who've taken the lesson and who've improved and who've really said what can i do to make myself better mm. you no know, and there's also external factors because we've got three stores we've got Joburg city center city mainland and the shopper is different they look yeah, different absolutely and you just need to be plugged into what they want preempt the need or create the need and also promote you know i always fight the designers about this you know promote 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 and you creatives you don't promote enough i think creative people find it offensive they find it like it's whorish to you know always be talking about yourself or hawking your ways or and it's not there's ways to do it that i always say just talk about what you feel most comfortable with and segue back to what it is that you do and you try to sell, because most people just don't know way to get the stuff or what is it that you make. Um, I like to actually even tell the designers that some of them are secret designers; no one knows they designers. You look at their social media feed, um, you'd think they're politicians, you know, uh, because they don't think about what they do. They don't put pictures up of what they do. They'll do it once in a while, and it doesn't mean direct people to the end product where mm-hmm. they can purchase it. We like here's a nice place, but not where I can buy it or here's a link or anything like that. But I mean, like, those are all lessons that we all have to learn. And it's easier to learn together. I've learned. Yeah. Um, and especially with Africa Rise, what I'm trying to do even now is that I've got an internship program with CETA where I take you know, nine young designers and I put them into a store and I just accelerate them through that process because we can't afford to make mistakes, especially mm-hmm. unnecessary teething mistakes. You know, we can't literally financially we can't afford it as young designers. So I put them through that process of saying, you don't have to go through all these small little steps. You already got a fashion education in this country. I don't know how you did it because it's so damn expensive, you know? So it's time for you to make money from this thing. This is how you do it. This is how you monetize it. And this is how you create a business out of this. And um, so far it's been two years of it. We're doing the third year this year. I, I prefer to really just find the learners organically because you know, the moment you do like a call to action, you get like a thousand people responding and it's, it's so, it's heart-wrenching, you know what I mean, to mm. be able to say, no, 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 to people who hear no every single day. Yeah. So what we do, I just go to colleges and say, who's your best student or who's the student that you thought had problems but they dropped out. I reach out to them and say, hey, listen, I've got this program. You sort it out for six months. You don't have to think about food, transport. We sort all of that out. Mm. You've got your little stipend. All you have to do is focus on creating products that will sell and sustain you going forward. You can make them from your mom's house. You can make them wherever. They just have to be damn good. Or you can make them in my studio with our machinery and our expertise. But you can start your business literally by just having an idea. So it's been working really, really well. And um, yeah, but I'm hoping for a much better year this year. The last two years have been grueling for us, especially in retail. Um, yeah, absolutely, but we're still breathing. That's what's important.
0: Yeah. Look, I mean, I think it's a it's a it's a journey that we are all on in different ways, um, and you know, the we had the the one great not necessarily leveler because there's still privilege and there's still prejudice and there's still those who take advantage. Um, but one of the things that I find is because I was, I was joking with a friend the other day and I was like, I remember 2016, 2017, people going, we need a a reset. You know, we need a, like a control, alt, delete. And yeah. everybody kept on going, yeah, we need a reset. Well, we got it. What are you going to do with it? That's the question. Uh, but I think one of the, what, what, as we close up, one of the things I actually, what I love that you said and that was interesting to me is, for example, that you work four days a week. Um and and you also allow your your team that room. Um, why do you think it's important? I mean, I, I do have ideas of why I think it's important, but why do you think it's important to also be able to find find that balance? Because we all come from an era where it's like you work seven days a week, and the harder you grind, or the harder the you know the harder you hustle, um, the better you're perceived to be. Yeah. Well, I don't
1: to that. I don't know if you see that I'm the gentleman of leisure. Um, I, I don't like working, I don't like also seeing people slave away for me. You know, I'm, I'm an outcomes based person. Um, mm-hmm. we, we have targets at the store, we have goals. And I understand that the people that are there also want to reach those goals. So I want to make the environment as desirable for them as possible. And wherever I can't pay them hundreds of thousands of rent, I can pay them really well but also their quality of life can be, you know, so different from everyone else around them, mm. you know, and which is, for, for, for me, that's where I've gotten the most positive feedback, you know, and that's why I can retain stuff, because if there's a family gathering or a, a wedding or a funeral, they can leave and do stuff. They're not trapped in this thing called work, you know, and so they go the extra mile for me, I go the extra mile for them, and it, it's really, it's a team effort, but without it being forced, it's really we like, guys, we want to preserve the way we work because, honestly, we are all so spoiled. We've been doing this for 12 years, all, all of us together. We wouldn't be able to survive anywhere. Yeah. else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we yeah. honestly wouldn't. Um, so we're all heavily invested in making sure it works. And it's so appreciated. You know, the other day, I was so shocked when uh, my cutting um, technician she brought me these, like, my triggers off. This was, like, last year. Her daughter's. I was like, okay, very good. She's like, you know, this is my daughter. Like, I had her when I started working with you.
0: Wow. I'm like, oh, damn, you did. Wow, <laughs> yeah.
1: I was like, yes. It just—it didn't click. Yeah, she comes, she visits, Yeah, ha- But, you know, you just you don't get it i just like yeah and i was like whoa we've been at this like yeah we've been at this so i was like this is literally the first person that worked with me yeah when i left let's go i was twenty i'm 38 now so
0: wow yeah yeah <laughs> it, it puts it i mean it, it puts it into proper perspective right because like you're saying we we kind of we go through we go through the journey and it's often it's putting one foot in front of the other, particularly when things are tough. Um, yeah. I mean, I always say I, I like I live by that like the, by that philosophy. Like when things are tough, like I put my head down. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. And when you look up, you realize that you're out of the trough. Um, yeah. But but because we don't because often we don't take that step back to look at the bigger picture we miss out you know we, we miss out on, on those very small very important i mean very important and very necessary nuances
1: no i was yeah i was really shocked <laughs> and um, but i i've had a easy-ish progression and i wanted i want life to be easy for other people too it's, mm. it's weird but i'm like if I'd be like a villain, I'd be like those villains that put everyone on holiday. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just want life to be easier for everyone. It's just, it, there's ways to still get what you need, but it doesn't have to be so horrible and so tough and so difficult. It's just, I just have never seen why it has to be like that. And mm. I was, even the way I was brought up, was very easy and my parents were very easy And you only see also these things in retrospect. You know, like, my parents, you know, they never used to put the pit me against them because me and my brother are a unit. My parents are a unit. We need to work together to make the household work start. So like this team effort thing, mm-hmm. you know, and then you go to other people's houses and the dynamic was completely like, the dad is the boss and everybody is his slave. And you're like, oh, it's completely different where <laughs> we come from, you know. So I just feel like there's always easier ways to do really great stuff and to enjoy yourself with every small thing. So that's what I try and do. Um, things like money and stuff, oh, whatever. I use money to create new opportunities and new platforms. I don't want a Ferrari. I don't want a Bentley, I don't want a big house. I, I don't. You know. But I want to do interesting things with my life mm-hmm. and also to show what's possible. So that's that's me in a nutshell.
0: I think on that note, thank you very much. It's, it's always, I mean, the, the reason why I always enjoy talking to you is because when we talk about the labels and we talk about particularly the society that we're in and the country that we're in, um, people, you know, people try to create these boxes and, and you've never, for me, you've never been just in one particular box um and, and that's what i've always enjoyed about one watching your journey but also interacting with you in that in that it is it's about living you know it's about living the best life that you can possibly live and you have particular things that you do uh, and it's well okay i'm gonna do this like you know people used to say to me it's so great you like you you do your passion for a living and i'm like listen writing words is my job yeah. all right like uh if it was, if it was about passion, then I'd write when it moved me. And if it didn't move me for, for years, or if it didn't move me for months, then I wouldn't write. But I have to write every day and I have to look for more writing every day because that's my job. That's how I feed my children. And, 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 you know, and like you're saying, like for me, money has always been a vehicle. Money's always been, okay, I wanna live a particular type of lifestyle to live that lifestyle i need to get the money so um, i was recently saying to a friend like if i did something today that got me all the money i needed um to be able to live and 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 that and that that amount is i've, I've learned over the years that it doesn't even have to be huge because we grew up with this idea that it must be huge it's like no actually kids at school they have their things i i you know i can do the things that I want to do, then it's about chilling and deciding, okay, I'm going to write another book and I'm going to spend a year. It may take me actually two months to write the book, but do you know what? I'm giving myself the next 12 months to write the book. I'll wake up and write for an hour and chill. Yeah. for me, that's how life should be. I really, <laughs> I'm not scared
1: to stop my I'm really not. <laughs> And I, I I think just a part of that does transfer into what I do, and so there's the ease to it, there's the sincerity to it, mm. and I don't like screwing people around or cheating them. So that's why I love to make classic pieces, investment things that I can tell that from the way I've cut this, the way I've made this, this is going to last you. This is not me trying to get a quick buck from you. And then this thing's going to be out of fashion or fall apart. Mm. I just, I wanted to work together to just have an easier type of life. You open your wardrobe and it's, it's filled with solutions because this guy thought of like really great garments that will last mm. you. And it, we can just make life easier for people. And that's just all I want to do. This is just how I decided to do it.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I'll you too. Bye-bye. <laughs>
1: Bye.